Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm trying to lead a revolution here for we, the users, where we push back. We push back against companies that have treated our personal lives like their property. And we need to have a voice in that um, with the companies and with the government that has frankly been asleep at the wheel and letting them get away with it. Jeffrey Fowler is a tech columnist for The Post, and he's been working on a project that he calls We the Users. And the whole premise is that we know now that technology is not always on our side. In many cases, we're not using it. It's using us. And we, the users, and by that I mean, you know, we as consumers and as patients and as parents and all the different hats we wear in our lives with technology, want to sort of claim what's ours in this space. So I actually took some inspiration from the uh, Constitution. So I rewrote the preamble to the Constitution. Uh, instead of we the people, it's we the users in order to form a better internet. And there's one thing in particular that Jeff was really concerned about, both as a tech columnist, but also as a parent, how the apps commonly used by kids can violate their privacy. Our children's privacy should be protected online, and the responsibility for that should not be on the shoulders of teachers and parents. It should be on the shoulders of this industry that is taking this data and making billions of dollars from it. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi, in for Martine Powers. It's Friday, July 29th. Today on the show, Jeff breaks down how apps are spying on your kids and how big tech is looking the other way. Jeff spoke with my colleague, Lexi Diao, who's also a parent. She was really alarmed when she started to hear about Jeff's reporting and wanted to hear more about what she could do to protect her own kids. Lexi and Jeff will take it from here. So, Jeff, you had this aha moment with your own phone in your own life. Tell me about that. Yeah. I didn't experiment on myself. I hacked into my iPhone because I wanted to <laughs> see what it got up to while I was asleep at night. Apple was running these billboards uh, everywhere and television commercials that said, what happens on your iPhone stays on your iPhone. And I wanted to see if that's really true. It turns out it's not true at all. While I was asleep, not touching my phone, it was just plugged in there, just doing this thing at night, it was sending personal information off to dozens and dozens of companies that I had never heard of, you've never heard of before, that were oh all God. in the, the business of tracking personal information and building profiles of me, selling it on to other people. God only knows what. But it was so rampant and left me with this feeling of, my gosh, we really don't even know what's happening on our phones. Tracking has become so commonplace in 
the tech industry that everyone treats it just as a normal thing, but there's absolutely nothing normal about my phone spending all night talking to companies about me when I haven't given them any permission to do that. Well, but you're saying that this is also happening to our kids, right? We're actually supposed to have a law in America that protects kids from this. It's one of the few laws we have about the Internet in America. Uh, It was passed way back in the 90s. The law is called COPPA, and it says children who are under 13 are not supposed to have their data collected by companies at all unless a parent has given very explicit permission for it. And I was really curious, is that law working? And B, I'd heard it wasn't. So how bad is the problem for kids? How bad is it? It's really, really bad. You know, there's a couple of different ways to to measure it. One way is just to look at the lived experience of teenagers and preteens who are on apps like Instagram. You know, we learned from Facebook whistleblower Francis Haugen in the fall that Facebook has research that it's done itself that shows that when young people use social media and their data gets collected by, by those apps and the algorithms inside those apps start churning through their data and deciding what, what, what images to feed them, that can have a really negative impact on their development. Facebook understands that if they want to continue to grow, they have to find new users. They have to make sure that that the next generation is just as engaged with Instagram as the current one. Um, And the way they'll do that is by making sure that children establish habits before they have good self-regulation. By hooking kids. By hooking kids. It increases depression, and it can increase, in some kids, eating disorders. So we're having these these realizations that, like, there are real-world lived impacts on kids. And then we can also maybe try to take a look at this in a really step-back kind of way. That's what the, the journey I went on with this. I wanted to see how bad is the problem if we look across all of the apps that kids use. And what does that actually look like? I mean, what, what information are companies collecting about children? Turns out all kinds of information. Uh, the two most common ones are their location, you know, where they're based, what city they're in, maybe even what neighborhood they're in. And then also something called their IP address. Their IP address is a way to identify who someone is on the Internet. How are they using that information? Uh, They're using it in in similar ways that they use it with adults. They're taking that information to try to figure out who is using a phone, what they're interested in, what they might buy, what they might be convinced to buy in the future, and then build profiles of them and try to deliver ads um, to them that specifically target them. You know, we can debate all day long whether that's a good or a bad thing for adults, But when it comes to kids, the research shows that, you know, they're particularly vulnerable to these messages. Most kids cannot tell the difference between what's an ad and what's, you know, an article in the Washington Post, for example. And so Mm. the industry and the government had decided in the 90s that we wouldn't be doing that to kids. And yet this research that I that I worked on for this column found that more than two thirds of the most popular iPhone apps and more than 79% of the most popular Android apps are taking this information from kids' phone and sending it directly to the advertising industry, which is really directly in conflict with, with, with the spirit of this idea of this law that kids are supposed to be protected. 
So are kids being asked specifically to share this information? In some cases, yes. Apps do ask kids for information. They ask them for an email. They ask them to fill in other kinds of information, other personal information. But most of the time, you don't even know what's happening. All you do is you open up the app and it probably has a little message that pops up that says, do you agree to our terms of service? And of course, everybody's going to click agree without reading them. Everybody says agree. And especially kids. (laughs) And then they start using it. So I did another piece in this We the Users series about privacy policies and how nobody reads them. And to kind of make that point, I tried to tally up all the privacy policies just for the apps on my phone. And it added up to a million words, which is approximately twice the length of War and Peace. So nobody is reading that. I'm not reading that. And this whole notion that reading these things is supposed to be protecting our privacy because we clicked agree is just a farce. And that's kind of one of the original sins of this entire economy, of the entire app world um, that we're living in. Why is big tech spying on our children? I mean, you know, even from like a financial point of view, it's not like they have a lot of purchasing power. Kids actually are big business. They do want to reach kids and get to them early, you know, because it gets them hooked on their services so that they are still using them when they're older teenagers or when they're in college or, you know, later in life when they have have more money. There's also other reasons why it's happening. Sometimes it happens kind of by accident. It's really hard to make money off of an app these days. And I have some sympathy for app developers. They have to pay their bills, and most of them are small companies. And we have an entire industry that's been set up where the easiest way to pay your bills as an app developer is to just stick some little code in your app, and that code will gobble up the data and then make money off of it, and then they give you a cut of that money. That's basically the app economy in a nutshell. And so most apps do that. And these companies that gobble up the data that they stick in, they don't want to be bothered with the law. They don't want to be bothered with stopping and asking, oh, wait a minute, are you a kid? If you're a kid, we can't take your data because that would mean less data for them and less data equals less money. So everybody is kind of intentionally turning a blind eye to whether or not kids are using this stuff, even though, again, we have a law that says they're not supposed to. So we've discussed how apps our children are using can invade their privacy. But what about the apps that we, the parents, are using? I mean, for example, am I risking my kids' privacy when I post a picture of them on Instagram or tweet about them? Can my posts be used to spy on my children? I think it's really important for parents to think really long and hard about the audience and the potential reach of the information that they're sharing about their kids. If your account is public Anybody can go and grab that picture of your kid and do what they want to with it. It's going to be out there on the internet forever. And given the growing availability of things like facial recognition, tracking and whatnot, it's never going to go away. And it's hard to think in the moment like, well, you know, what could be the harm of this? But things can come back to haunt you in all kinds of ways that you would never imagine. Let's have a moment of parent honesty here as well. I have an Instagram account for my son. I wrote a We The Users column about the experience. The account I have for my son is private, which means that it is not open to the public, that the images are just shared with a small subset of people that I've approved to come in. I think that is a much safer uh, mechanism to use. I don't believe in judging 
people for how they want to share their lives. What I believe in is that we shouldn't put the work on the shoulders of parents and of users of technology in general to understand all the nuances of a very opaque, complicated data industry that is treating your life as its property. After the break, Lexi and Jeff talk about which companies are the worst offenders when it comes to violating your kids' privacy. We'll be right back. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. So Jeff Fowler, you cover tech for The Post, and you have a new series out called We the Users, which takes a look at the internet from a consumer perspective. And we've been talking about how these apps directed and used by children are actually collecting their personal data information and mining it. Name names. What are the apps that are doing this? Well, I should first of all say it's just so incredibly common that pretty much any name that you think of is probably doing it. To name some names, well, I'm going to start with Facebook. Facebook and Instagram (laughs) are technically not supposed to be used by children under 13, but these companies totally know that it's happening. Instagram even has talked about plans to make a special version of Instagram for kids under 13, and then they put that on pause. But you know, they're not working nearly as hard as they could to figure out who is a child and gently say to them, hey, this shouldn't be on here. Let's get off, get off of here. So I'm starting at the top. Mm. But beyond that, lots of games that uh, kids like to play are, are doing this. Angry Birds um, does not ask you your age. And I know lots of adults play Angry Birds, but so do some kids. Candy Crush mm-hmm. does not ask you your age and yet, you know, collects personal information, location, IP address, you name it, sends it off to the ad industry. So do lots of actually um, apps that kids use for homework. I spoke to one calculator app called the Calculator Plus app. It actually advertises itself in the app store as a great way to get your homework done. (laughs) And yet in the terms of service, it claims, oh, no, 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 we're not supposed to be for kids under 16. And of course, then collects this data and sends it off to the ad industry. Wait, so something even as innocuous and basic as a calculator that's being marketed as a calculator in the app store is actually collecting your children's data. Correct. It's actually worse than that. Um, It's being marketed in the app store as a calculator to help you get your homework done is going in and taking your kids' data, mining it, sending it off to the ad industry, because that's how they make money. It's a free app. And the tools that are available for them to, to make money off of that through advertising 
require collecting data. You know, when I spoke to the developer of that app, it's a Danish company. um, He was one of the few people to admit, you know what, maybe we're not doing this right here. And so they said they would stop marketing it as a way to do homework. But of course, what they didn't say is, okay, we'll stop collecting and mining the data. You have been looking at one app in particular, Pixel Art. Tell me about this app and why you decided to focus on it. Yeah, pixel art to me was really indicative of this problem we've been talking about. So it is a paint-by-number app. So I decided to zoom in on on this kind of app because, you know, here we already have the regulators saying, like, no, coloring apps really do appeal to kids, so you shouldn't be collecting their data. And then we looked at what happened. And what we saw was pretty shocking. We did the test on a kid's iPhone. So um, for parents who are listening, they may be familiar with the fact that you can set up a special iPhone account for a kid. When you do that, Apple asks you the age and it changes a couple of settings on the phone. Apple knew that this was a kid's phone. Everybody knew this was a kid's phone. We downloaded Pixel Art, started playing it, and very quickly saw it start sending personal information out to the advertising industry. We saw it sending the the location. We saw it sending the IP address. We also saw it sending a special code, which could be also used to identify the phone, These little IDs mean a lot to them because it allows advertisers to link together who you are based on how you use different kinds of apps. And Apple supposedly, they have a lot of TV commercials right now that advertise that they have a button you can press, ask app not to track, that's supposed to stop it. And we found that even though we had pressed that button, they were still using this special code to potentially track the app. So it was really like the most aggressive tracking that could possibly be going on, again, in a coloring app. How have these companies responded to these allegations of mining personal data of children? To a one, all of the app developers I asked about this said, our app is not designed for children. Our app is designed for adults. Children should not be using it. And we have no actual knowledge that children are using it. And that phrase actual knowledge is something that comes out of the way the COPPA law has been interpreted, which is to say that companies are only responsible for um, trying to keep kids out if they know that there's a kid in there. So if everybody puts on a blindfold and everybody looks the other way and doesn't ask if you're a kid, then they can claim they don't know. Are these companies actually doing anything illegal? The FTC has been going after apps increasingly for violating COPPA. Um, The FTC is also the most overworked agency in Washington and has limited resources and has to sort of choose its battles in enforcing these laws. Maybe there's a legal rationale for why each of these apps has sufficiently proven that they are not being used by kids or not enough kids or whatever it might be. But I can say as a consumer advocate, I think parents deserve to have this entire economy, including the developers of apps, including Apple and Google who run these app stores and set the rules for them and decide what gets labeled as a kid's app or not. They should all be doing this work to protect kids' privacy, and they're clearly not. Instead, they're putting all of the work on the shoulders of teachers and of parents to go in and try to like, you know, dig through the privacy policies of each and every one of these games your kid might want to use or school assignment apps, whatever it might be, and figure out what they're doing with their data. And that's, that's just too much for us. We can't handle that. It's not fair. 
And it seems like the COPPA law that you're referencing, I mean, the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act is pretty old. I mean, it was created in, what, 1998? So it's like 25 years old or something like that? I mean, how applicable is that to like 2022? Not very. I mean, this law was written back when going online meant like a kid sitting in like the living room or the den of the house at home with a dial-up modem where their parents were there and everybody was watching what was <laughs> happening I together. Will never forget. <laughs> this is the context in which this law was written. Today, we've got like 10-year-olds with their own iPhones in their rooms. Parents have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Kids are also using like, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different apps. And how could right. a parent possibly stay on top of that. One of the stats that I came across in reporting this story that really stuck with me and just was like a, oh my God, we have a problem moment was there was a study that was done by a marketing firm called Super Awesome. And they said that by the time a child reaches 13, online ad firms hold an average of 72 million data points about them, about each 13-year-old. Like an individual 13-year-old. Correct. Well, Jeff Aller, you have sufficiently scared the daylights out of me. Is there anything that is actively being done on the state or federal level to keep our kids' lives private? Yeah. So as part of the research for this column, I called up the senator who wrote COPPA way back in the day. That's Senator Ed Markey from Massachusetts. And I talked to him about what he learned uh, back then and what he thinks about it now. And in fact, he thinks today COPPA is woefully inadequate. And he has proposed what he calls a kind of COPPA 2.0 bill. I, I introduced the children in Teens Online Privacy Protection Act, COPPA 2.0, mm-hmm. to extend privacy protections to uh, teens and require companies to get consent before collecting data about users of age 13, 14, 15, right up until the 16th birthday, um, so that they would have similar protections to kids under 13. Uh, under the original uh, COPPA. Also kind of most importantly here, he's going to do away with this standard that I mentioned called actual knowledge. This is the the loophole that app developers and websites exploit by saying, oh, I don't actually know that a kid is using me. These apps now have much more sophisticated analytics to determine, you know, when a kid is lying about her age and These companies shouldn't be able to bury their heads in the sand to avoid having to protect kids' privacy. Now, the industry does not love that. They say that's hard to do. How am I going to figure this out? But it feels like we have to at least start trying. What can I do as a parent to make sure my child's privacy is protected? I mean, is there a setting I should change or certain devices that might be better for children? I wish I had a simple answer to this question. Um, And I hate that we've got this economy that is built on this notion that it's parents' fault for not, you know, adjusting settings on their phone and reading privacy policies, because what parent has time for that? If you want to exert some more control as a parent, a couple of things you can do. First of all, there is a setting on iPhones that says, ask app not to track. Turn that on. Make sure it's on for any device that your kids use, but 
any device you use as well. You don't want this happening. Um, then, you know, if you're curious about what's going on in your kids' apps, there are reviews available of them from some organizations like Common Sense Media. Common Sense Media is now doing actually privacy reviews of apps. Now, they've only done a couple thousand and there are hundreds of thousands mm. of kids' apps out there. Um, so they've got a long ways to go. But, you know, it's worth doing some research, particularly if it's an app your kid is spending a lot of time with. So, Jeff, I have to ask, you know, you are a father. How do you deal with all of this, knowing what you know and reporting on on what you do? I am pretty careful. And I look to the help of experts. First of all, I'm part of a team here at The Post called Help Desk, where we produce amazing resources and guides for um, normal people, for parents, for patients, you name it, on just like simple steps you can take to further lock down your stuff. And I make use of them myself. In fact, part of the reason why I started writing these things is because I wanted to figure it out for myself. And then I shared it with the readers of the Washington Post. So I take some time. Um, I don't accept the default settings. When an app asks me for permission for something, when I don't know explicitly what it is and why they want it, I say no. And I think we would all be a lot better off if we just said no a lot more often. Jeff Fowler, thank you so much. You bet. Jeff Fowler is a tech columnist for The Post. He spoke to our editor, Lexi Diao. The story was produced by Sharla Freeland. If you want to learn more about how to protect your privacy online, we'll put a link in our show notes to Jeff's story, as well as a bunch of other resources from The Post's help desk. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. I also want to remind you about a survey we're running right now. We'd love to hear from you, our listeners. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash podcast survey. That's WashingtonPost.com slash podcast survey. When you're done, you can enter a sweepstakes to win a $100 gift card. We really appreciate your help. Thanks so much. Our executive producer is Maggie Penman. Our supervising senior producer is Rena Flores. Ted Muldoon is our senior producer. Jordan Marie Smith. Ariel Plotnick and Rennie Svernovsky are producers. Sabi Robinson and Emma Talkoff are assistant producers. Sean Carter is our engineer. Our intern is Natalie Bettendorf. The Post's director of audio is Renita Jablonski. I'm Elahe Izadi. Martine Powers will be back on Monday with more stories from The Washington Post. Always more to the story. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor of Washington Post Live. Each week, we bring you inside conversations between the newsroom and the people we cover, from global leaders enacting change to cutting edge artists redefining our culture. And we make you and your questions part of every conversation. Listen to Washington Post Live wherever you get your podcasts and watch on demand at WashingtonPostLive.com.